Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, April 11th, 2017. The crazy parade continues here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. Actually, we're covering what's going on in the church. Where is the doctrinal accountability? I'm to think it doesn't exist anymore. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There really is no shortage anymore of really crazy and bizarre things being said out there. And we take the time to compare what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's really crazy. We got all of these words claiming to be words from God, but when you do the fact-checking and you sit there and go, is, is God really saying this? Is this what I'm supposed to be believing, teaching, confessing? Is this what Jesus meant when he said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching all that I have commanded? Is this what Christ has commanded us, and over and again, what we demonstrate is what people claim to actually be coming from God. Yeah, it's far, 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 far from actually being from God at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. So let's talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We've got just lots of craziness that we're going to be covering here, and I need to make a note, and that is is that because this is the what is traditionally known as Holy Week, and I am literally, yeah, as a pastor, I am a pastor and a pirate, pastor duties uh, have to come first, uh, especially during a week like this. So tomorrow's episode, the Wednesday episode of Fighting for the Faith, will actually be the last episode of the week. And uh, I need Thursday, Friday off to uh, do my work and uh, you know and prepare for the services that we're going to be offering for uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, as well as Easter. And uh, and the prep that goes into each of the sermons requires me to take that time off. 
So uh, so tomorrow's episode, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be playing audio from the weekend. I was invited to a men's event out in Bemidji, uh, Bay, uh, Bemidji area men's something like that. BAMS, I think, is their name. And uh, I did a, a, a lecture titled Gut Check. Gut Check, yeah. And uh, so we'll be playing the audio from the Gut Check event tomorrow on uh, Fighting for the Faith. And uh, and then we'll sign off for the week, and we'll be back on the Monday after Easter. And uh, just so you know, traditionally what we do now, uh, the week after Easter, we only play good Easter sermons, you know, where the pastor actually kind of gets it, you know, doesn't somehow allegorize Jesus' resurrection from the grave to talk about how God wants to raise your dreams and nonsense like that. Um, And so a whole week of good Easter sermons, which will help anchor you, because the following week will be nothing but bad Easter sermons, and uh, and uh, included in the mix will be Easter bad Easter sermons that you've recommended. Uh, and so we have our annual Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest coming up. I want to remind you that that's the case. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. We're going to be hearing from Ryan Lestrange and the Monday Word. Yeah, I know it's Tuesday, and I didn't get to the Monday Word quick enough. My my deepest apologies. So, you know, we're always trying to catch up with all of these prophetic words coming in. So we're going to be listening to Ryan Lestrange and his prophetic word, apparently, and uh, then we're going to be checking in with uh, Jennifer LeClaire and uh, a word that the Holy Spirit apparently gave her about how the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you in all kinds of different natural places. Yeah, natural places. Then we're going to be doing a new Apostolic Reformation uh, update as we check in with uh, Apostle. She claims to be an Apostle. Apostle Robin Harfouche. Um, and, uh, and I've, I, I've titled the segment doing it God's way. And as we listen to this, you're going to note that there is a supreme lack of biblical backing for the things that she's saying. She's basically just spewing her own theology. I, maybe apostles, uh, have the ability to do that, but we'll note that the things that she's saying as an apostle which she's not. There are no apostles in the church today that are alive on the earth. The uh, apostles' doctrine is recorded for us in the New Testament. Yeah, the apostles are part of the foundation. Yeah, remember the uh, sermon we played recently uh, from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones where you know he kind of made that all very clear, that uh, you, you can't lay the foundation twice, which I think is a, an absolutely solid exegetical argument against those who would claim that uh, we have living apostles today. So uh, then then we're going to be doing an emergent church update. I'll give you the uh, details when we get to the segment. There's a video that's literally gone viral, and we're going to have to bleep out some of the uh, language in it because, wow, it's uh, it's crazy-go-nuts in, the, in, the, in that category. But 
this is an example of somebody who has abandoned what God's Word says, decided to reinterpret what God's Word says in light of, well, you know, you know experience and things like that. So uh, that will be the first hour. Then in hour number two, we're going to be heading down to Church by the Glades, listening to a sermon from their Hooked Sermon Series. <laughs> and it's a female... Uh, a preacher, the wife of one of the campus pastors that uh, we'll be listening to. Again, I'll give you details uh, when we get to hour number two. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, and I strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground that we need to cover, and since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So uh, we are heading over to Ryan Lestrange's YouTube channel because, I mean, after all, he's a YouTube prophet. And every week he gives us the Monday word. And, and it's very helpful also that not only do we get the Monday word, we also get the, uh, the, the monthly words as they come in. So um, let's head over there as we learn what the uh, Monday word is for this week. And I know it's Tuesday, but here we go. Hi, it's Ryan the Stranger with today's Monday Word. And my Monday Word for you is a prophetic one. Announcement is upon you. This is... <laughs> oh, I'm glad he made it clear that this is a prophetic one, as if he doesn't claim that every word that he hears burble up inside of his own heart and head is actually prophetic. All right, so announcement is upon me. What does that even mean? Statement that came during a recent Facebook Live I was doing. I was uh, this, so you were doing Facebook Live and God the Holy Spirit interrupted you to let everybody know that announcement is upon you. <laughs> this sounds a lot like that uh, sentence that we use over and again here. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Yep, there's a noun. There's a verb. It's, it's, it's structurally sound as far as sentences go, but it don't mean nothing. Talking to the Lord about promotion. God yeah, told me yeah. during this divine shakeup that promotion was coming to the lives of people. And I was experiencing personal promotion, things I had prayed for. Promotion is coming. Right. So shaking, promotion, breakthrough. These are all an announcement now. Announcement is upon you. These are all the uh, <laughs> the five, the $3, uh, they're phony slug nickel words, is the best way I can put it. I'm trying to find the right way of describing the currency we're dealing with here. Uh, Ryan Lestrange traffics in um, false 
prophecies. And uh, these are nonsensical and very empty words. Uh, announcement is upon you, yeah. I had heard from the Lord many years ago, things I had dreamt of were suddenly happening. And I said, God, what is this? And he said, it's the power of announcement. He said, the power of announcement, right? Wow. Yeah, that, that's some power. Uh, announcements are very powerful. Yeah. Or I do you know, we usually have announcements before the church service begins there at Kongsvinger. Um, so maybe that's why things are going so well there is because of the power of announcements. Yeah. Anything I announce it. This is what the prophetic spirit is, at least one function of it. It's the spirit of announcement because decrees are gateways that open up realms and open up corridors in the spirit. And there are things in your life that are coming by way of announcement. That this is why some of the demonic resistance happens, is that God announces things over you. God decrees things over you. Prophets speak things over you. Prophetic utterances come forth. And it sends shockwaves in the spirit because the Bible said, the power of life and death is in the tongue. What is spoken out under spiritual inspiration carries the very substance of heaven and the glory of God. And it sends shockwaves out. When Mo so the power of announcement sends shockwaves out. Yeah, who knew? I had no idea. I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but Ryan Lestrange, I mean, he's got a direct, you know, phone that goes all the way up to heaven and downloads stuff to him, you know. Was being born as a deliverer. Demons knew that the deliverer was on the way. An announcement had been made, and there was demonic attack and resistance. And many times, when you're on the edge of promotion, you're on the edge of breakthrough. When announcement is upon you, there will be the most fierce resistance. The winds of resistance will begin to blow against you because sometimes demons have more faith than the people of God. They believe that when God said a thing, it's going to happen. But the devil shakes you out of faith and out the. The demons have faith. Yeah, this is getting, you know, biblically sketchy by the second. Leaving to try to break what has been announced over you. But I'm saying to you that announcement is upon you. That God has declared a thing. That God has decreed a thing. You know, when Jesus was brought into the earth, the man Jesus, all God and all man, the Father announced him as John ba the Baptist was baptizing him. There was an announcement. There was an Right. So, I mean, there's the announcement from heaven. Uh, these announcements in from heaven. Jesus Christ is uh, <laughs> God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Listen to him. Yeah, that's what the announcement is, yes. The announcement came and the anointing descended, the glory descended, the dove descended, and the announcement is the gateway through which anointings will come. And now the announcement is the gateway through which... An you know, I got to tell you, uh, as I've already begun preparing my sermons for, you know, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, um, you know, uh, it, it, I, because of that fact, I am having a very difficult time not being aggravated at what I'm hearing. Because, you know, just in working through the biblical text regarding Jesus's death for our sins, in fact, this past Sunday, uh, if you uh, your church follows uh, the three year lectionary, then uh, then you heard literally a, two whole chapters of the Gospel of Matthew read out, read out uh, regarding Jesus's betrayal, arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, and the end. You know, it stops there with his death. And I mean, it was absolutely intense to to read that out, 
and nothing in that in that narrative was throwaway stuff. I mean, I could have preached on any one segment uh, and you know and done an entire sermon on just you know one portion of Jesus' sufferings uh, for our sins. And you know, in working with that, it really kind of snaps your your thinking into alignment with Scripture and makes you realize the absolute magnitude of our sin. Uh huh, and then some. Somebody like Ryan Lestrange comes along, and I'm listening to him with with Matthew's account of Christ's death for my sins and yours still ringing in my ear from Sunday, and I gotta admit, I am like, I I am impatient with it, impatient because there isn't a thing that he is saying that has any value at all. These words are utterly worthless. There's no value to them at all. None. So, I mean, it's, it's announcement is upon you, right? Yeah, because well, yeah. Jesus, you know, God the Father announced him, so God's going to announce you. No, he's not. No, he's not. Is the gateway through which promotion will come. And I say to you, announcement is upon you that God is announcing who you are, what you are, where you're going, what you're called to. No, he's not. God is not announcing any of that nonsense. You are suffering from delusions of grandeur and a demonic spirit that's influencing you and causing you to download completely worthless words. You should check, check your connection. You're not, your modem isn't actually connected to Christ. You've been severed from Christ. Your connect, your modem connection where you're getting the downloads, those are actually uploads because they're coming from the nether regions. That favor is upon you. That when God brings you into a thing, there might be a waiting time. There might be a time of testing. There might be a time of learning. But when God brings you through the gateway, announcement precedes you. And the Lord begins to bring your name and bring you before people that when you arrive there in the natural, you've already been there in the spirit. An announcement has gone ahead of you. I love the picture in Acts 13. It said at the Antioch church, Antioch church was the governing church of that day. There was prophets and teachers and the Bible names their name and said while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me the work of Barnabas and Saul for the work rather which I've called them to and they fasted they prayed they laid their hands on them and sent them away you see announcement came and <laughs> now you're engaging in what's called eisegesis you're reading something into the biblical text that is not there nowhere in scripture we talk taught about this important process known as announcement. No, that was them being set apart and sent to a work, a task that God had prepared for them to do. This was not the power of announcement. Apostolic uh, realms and in prophetic realms, announcement is there. Prophetic atmospheres create announcement. Pro right. Again, more worthless words. Prophetic atmospheres create announcements. No, they don't. This is not a biblical teaching. It's as if he's baked his brain on the glory or something. ...over the lives of people. And God called the name of Saul, of Paul and Barnabas up before the people of God. An announcement was upon them. An announcement propelled them. Announcement released them. And I just... Really, announcement propelled them. Hmm. 
No biblical text says that, but it does say God the Holy Spirit sent them. Say to you today the announcement is upon you. Father, I thank you for a destiny announcement. I thank you for a marketplace announcement. Nonsense. Destiny announcement. Marketplace announcement. Yeah, let me announce something to you, Ryan. If you don't repent of this nonsense and pinning your worthless words on God and blaming him for them, you're going to have to give an accounting to God for all of this. That's that's just literally how this goes. This is a breaking the breaking of the commandment that says you will not take God's name in vain. And I would warn you, uh, Ryan, Exodus makes it very clear. Exodus 20 makes it very clear that God will not hold someone guiltless who takes his name in vain, which is exactly what this fellow is doing. All right, we're still under the umbrella of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. We're heading over to the Walking in the Spirit podcast, which is put out by the editor-in-chief, the chief editor there at Charisma Magazine, and uh, that would be Jennifer LeClaire. And she claims that God the Holy Spirit is speaking to her, that uh, he's going to be speaking to us through natural things, not through his word, you know, (laughs) Because, you know, the Bible, all of God's word is theonoustos. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be equipped for every good work. But uh, apparently we we got new information that God is going to be speaking to us via natural things, which I would basically say that's weird because God the Holy Spirit in the Bible actually forbids us from, well, interpreting omens. Uh huh, and believing that God's speaking to you through natural things would require you to engage in the interpreting of omens. So, I mean, already on its face, we've got a problem. But here's Jennifer LeClaire to explain. Good morning, everyone. Jennifer LeClaire here with you. Our devotion for today is called Discern What I'm Saying to You Through Natural Things. All right, so... We're just seconds into this episode of Walking in the Spirit, and she claims that this is a devotional thought. Okay, that's weird because, well, I've been around Christianity for a while. Mm -hmm. I've been a Christian pretty much all my whole life. That's just kind of how that works. And grew up, you know, from junior high all the way through high school and college, you know, was an active member of of the church. And uh, I have always noted that when somebody is giving devotions, that would generally require you to, one, have a biblical text, two, rightly understand what that biblical text is saying so that we can devotionally consider what it is that God has revealed in his word, even if it's a devotional. A devotion, if you would, is not a full-blown sermon, or nor is it designed to be an entire exegesis of a particular text. Instead, a, a devotional thought is designed really to kind of be, like, if you would, a biblical exegetical nugget or something to think on or consider or maybe even a challenge point. From Scripture, you know, remember Scripture that it has law and gospel, and so you can devotionally consider your life in light of the Ten Commandments, whether or not you're 
if you if you would living up to what God would have you be doing, we don't. Um, and so you need to consider your life as one of daily repentance. Or you can even meditate on the promises of God and the magnitude and depth of his mercy and his grace for you. These are these are devotional ideas, but they would require you to consider a portion of Scripture, uh, oftentimes smaller. But you'll notice here that right off the bat, Jennifer LeClaire is giving us a devotional thought, and she's not doing so from Scripture. Discern what I'm saying to you through natural things. Here's what the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, I will speak to you through the natural things around you, the people, the places and the things, and the circumstances. But be careful not to see every shifting wind as a prophetic instruction. So now, if, if, if I'm understanding this right, um, Jennifer LeClaire believes that God the Holy Spirit really wants us to not be exegeting the Bible, but try to exegete the circumstances and the things going on around us, because he's going to try to speak to us through that. Here's the issue, is that we, as we live our lives, we live them, if you would, historically, in narrative, in um, a series of events and interactions. It's a small portion of our life that is wrapped up in texts and words written down and things like that. And oftentimes our interactions, yes, there's words and things like that, but there's actions and words and things kind of all going together. And the, and so how are you supposed to figure out which part of that is God the Holy Spirit speaking? And how do you know if your interpretation of the events of your life uh, it, that it's an inspired interpretation. As you fellowship with me, you will learn to discern what I'm saying to you through the people, places, things, and circumstances, and also to know when something is trying to lead you away from my heart. Ironically here, uh, Jennifer LeClaire, by having you believe that God the Holy Spirit is speaking through her and telling you this, is actually leading you away from the Spirit and where he has spoken and still speaks. Remember, God's Word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. But Jennifer LeClaire would have you sheathe that sword, put it up on on, on your mantle. I mean, really, give it a place of honor on your mantle, but keep it in the sheath. Don't pull that thing out. And instead, believe that God is speaking to you in circumstances my heart believe me when i speak you will know it when you when you unsure ask me uh huh i know for sure that every word of scripture is god breathed and god is speaking still speaking in pre- in the present through his written word this is a i mean she's literally going to drive people crazy Sitting there going, was that God speaking? Let me ask you, God, was that you speaking? And then you listen, right? Yeah. Uh, and you, you you think that was the voice of God. Was that God telling me that he was speaking? I, 
I'm, I'm not exactly sure, you know. I'm try, I'm not tr- I am I am trying not to hide truth from you but to reveal it. The Holy Spirit <laughs> The Holy Spirit just said I'm tr- not trying to hide truth from you. I'm trying to reveal it. When does the Holy Spirit try? Hang on a second. I've got to back this up. Let's let's hear this again. When I speak, you will know it. When you when you unsure, ask me. I'm try, I'm not tr- I am I am trying not to hide truth from you, but to reveal it. So the Holy Spirit, you know, I'm I'm not trying to hide truth from you. I'm really trying to reveal it, and it's just so hard to communicate. And so I'm going to try to not hide truth from you. What is this? The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. He's not trying to hide the truth from us. He's trying to lead us into it. Right, yeah. He speaks to us through natural things. He speaks to us with a still small voice. He speaks to us in many ways, but oftentimes he does speak to us through natural things. Uh, no. God speaks to us through the written word. He wants us to know what he has revealed in his written word. He is still speaking. And here's the best part. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Because God's word is inscripturated, that means he is saying the same thing, teaching the same doctrines, telling the same stories to every generation of Christians from the time of Christ's ascension until his return in glory to judge the living and the dead. And to say that it's the gold standard of the Word of God would be an understatement, because there are no other ways that he's speaking to us. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Consider what Hebrews chapter 1 says. Hebrews chapter 1 says so explicitly. Here's what it says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so I would point out here, that God has definitively now spoken to us through his Son, and where is the only place that you can go to hear the Son of God speak? Yeah, the written Word of God. Jennifer LeClaire is trafficking in utter nonsense. These are empty words. None of these are words from God, not even one of them. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from the apostolate Robin Harfouche. And an emergent update that is going to be mind-bogglingly bad. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. (laughs) 
You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word, but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me, it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. Radio for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house, 
They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! This is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's. I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog. And I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass. His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that God's Word is where God speaks to us. You can trust it. It's living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. There are four different ranks in our crew. You get to pick your rank. It's based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, time for a new Apostolic Reformation update. Let's do this. Chief Lane, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have despised. The Pinky... The pinky and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. The pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. The pinky. The pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, so we're heading over to the Facebook of the self-appointed apostolate, Robin Harfouche. Yeah, and I have to say that because she ain't no apostle, that is for sure. And we're going to listen to a portion of a message delivered recently by her. And we're going to note that this is an entire litany of man-made doctrines, which is weird because, I mean, don't you think if she were a real apostolate that maybe, just maybe, she might actually say something that's biblically true, but that doesn't seem to be high on her list of things to do. And as we're watching this, no joke, the uh, the it literally says, as her title on the television screen... Apostle Dr. Robin Harfouche. Here we go. Along the lines of we're ministering on spirit. Someone say spirit. Spirit. Soul. Soul. And body. body. Now, all of that spirit, soul, and body is one. Say one. One. God saved all of us. All of us. We're saved. All of us. Every bit of it. It's all saved. Amen. And so tonight we're going to go a little bit into um, the will a little bit more so we can see it. Um, The spirit has three parts. The soul has three parts and the body has three parts. God likes. 
what? My spirit has three parts, my soul has three parts, and my body has three parts. I'm pretty sure my body has more than three parts. Yeah, I got like ten fingers. <laughs> I got a hand. There's an arm right there. Um, then they got my head and my nose and um then you got my toes and my foot and my knee, you know. Uh and uh <laughs> so you know, I I just counted up more than three parts for my body here. Where is she getting this nonsense? Three. And um, in the soul, there's the mind. Same mind. There's the will. And there's the emotions. We're going to speak this evening. A lot. So apparently the uh, folks there at Robin Harfouche's Apostolic Center... They're little, like little parrots, you know. She says something and they just repeat it. Oh, yeah, this isn't cult-like at all, is it? Lines of the will, because the will um, is the director of the course of our life. Our will is the strongest force that our Father gave us. What? And every human being, whether male or female, is born with a will. And in our will... It yeah, a bound will. ...where we decide what will happen. Amen? So lift both hands and say, I am not a victim. I am not a victim. Oh, shout it again. I am not a victim. Shout it again. Wow. Um, <laughs> this sounds really cultish to me. I with God, all things are possible. Seek Heil. Amen. So, so we don't have to take things as they come. We make up our mind, and then the Holy Spirit works all things together for good with us. And, and you know, a lot of people have, have uh, talked about that, and they've said, well, you know, God works the bad things and the good things together with us. But that's really not what he's talking about. When he said he works all things together for those that are called according to his purpose. How many are called according to God's purpose? Yes. Say, that's me. that's me. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Man, I, I am telling you, this sounds like a cult. That means God is obligated to work all things all, th all things. all things. God is obligated. He is obligated to work all things. All things. I'm talking about the universe. I'm talking about the angels. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the word of God in your life. I'm talking about your victory. I'm talking about your ability to hear God. I'm talking about the will. Yeah, ability to hear God. And she's not referring to your ability to read. Uh-huh. I'm talking about gifts severally as the Holy Ghost has imparted unto you. I'm talking about you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am talking about what Dr. Lester Summerall calls the tabernacles of divinity. Uh, what? Who's Lester Summerall? And is, is he one of the biblical authors? I mean, I'm curious. When we put our will with God's will, it equals 100% victory. 
Right. Um, what are you talking about? Which biblical text says this? I have to I have to ask. Now some of you are sitting there going, Well, I don't see anything wrong with what she's saying. You should. You should, because she's not actually exegeting any biblical texts. She's made allusions to a couple of sentences out of context in the Bible and then wanted everybody to repeat after her over and again. But you you may have been taught that, oh, it's your will. It's all about your will. No, it is not about your will. It is about God's will. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll look at a text in a minute. Your will, my will, is the master choice maker in our life. And that that would make my will sovereign. That would make my will God. Will was given to us by the master. So God has a will. Jesus has a will. The Holy Ghost has a will, and you have a will. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. Can you find out which one doesn't belong? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I am not God. I am not a little God. I'm a creature. I... Am the creation of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To compare my will to theirs, to his, um, wow, this is a problem. With our will, we receive Jesus Christ. Nope, that's actually not what Scripture says. Scripture says something totally different. John chapter 1. We'll start at verse 1, uh, not verse 1, but verse 9 for our context. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, listen to the list, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You see, anybody who is a Christian has not been born by their exercising of their will Verse 13 says that they were not born of the will or of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. God is the one who's willed for you to be born again, born from above. And that's exactly also what Jesus was getting at in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The word for draw, helco, 
literally means that uh, you know it's to drag a an inanimate object in a pulling motion or in the case of beings those who are unwilling no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him jesus says and then ephesians chapter 2 uh you know that wonderful passage that many of you know. Here's what it says, starting at verse 1, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So our state before we became Christians was dead in trespasses in sins. But then verse 4 says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. If you are dead, you do not exercise your will in order to become alive. God exercised his will so that you have been made alive. Alive, God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly places. And we read in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation and even the ability to believe itself is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. So the apostle, self-appointed, Apostolette, Robin Harfouche, what she is saying here is straight up false. Clear passages of Scripture contradict this. There's no way she's an apostle. No way she's hearing anything from God. She is a false apostle, false teacher, false prophet. And I would argue, based on what I'm hearing, a cult leader. It supersedes our thinking processes. It supersedes our emotions. Our emotions don't run us. But we're glad we have them. Because when they are in God, passion and joy and righteousness and peace and creativity and imagination. Whoa, and vision. Glory to God imagination and vision are those fruit of the spirit now i had no idea and love they're glorious god created them to be sanctified they're sanctified in you they're sanctified in me where is she getting this doctrine passion is sanctified a passion for the purpose of god that is sanctified glory to god You can sit there and say glory to God all you want. I'm not sure which one you're referring to because the doctrines you're teaching are not from the one true God, nor from his word. Our will is a major force in the universe. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Major force in the universe. Uh, you, you, You need to rephrase that. Our will is an impotent force in the universe. Our will is the most dominant factor. Regarding our destiny. Am I going too fast? No, no, your your pace is perfect. You you're spewing heresy at a completely understandable rate. You are what you are. 
by your will. Oh, she's, she just thinks she said something profound. She's spewing nonsense. Wait, I'm holding, I, I, I'm handing you way too much responsibility right now. You're just wait, wait, you know, God's up there with a chessboard, and when he moves the one piece, that happens, and he moves the other piece, that happens. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. Oh, no. No. God has a sovereign will, and he gave every human being regenerate or born again a sovereign will to make a choice if he's going to be their king or not now you tell me how powerful uh-huh. is the will if that decides whether we go to heaven or we go to hell yeah i just read out uh, john 1 makes it clear we were not born of a human decision or of a human will and you just said our wills are sovereign. And like I said earlier, that would make our will God. Mm-hmm. That would make me a God. If I have a sovereign will that I'm exercising, that makes me a little God. This is a satanic doctrine that we are hearing. Wow. What a mess. All right, moving along. Time for an emergent church update. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. Now you'll note the the avant-gardeness of this particular orchestra. They are been set free from the uh, modernist limited definitions of notes, and they are led by Sarayu. Yeah. Now they are playing. Uh, Strauss's also Sprock Zarathustra. Just absolutely cutting-edge rendition of it. I've never heard anything so amazing. It's building to a crescendo. Let's let's listen in. Just so amazing. So we're going to be heading over to East Lake Church in Bothell, Washington, as we listen to their founder and vision casting leader, Ryan Meeks, as, well, he's um, supposedly preaching. I mean, this has got quite a bit of, um, let's just say this video has gone viral this week, and we're going to have to bleep this out. I mean, I've never quite heard a pastor speak like this, with one exception, though. That would be um, Mark Driscoll. But uh, here's Ryan Meeks to explain to us how, you know, how their experience has led them to embrace uh, LGBTQRXZ people. Yeah, here we go. Jesus. He was like the king of calling out People are like, hey, you can't talk to Samaritans. Jesus is like, I was brought up in a system, evangelical Christianity, where this was the cardinal sin. You don't do this. But Jesus, they're categorically unclean, and our holy book tells us so. 
Shit, I'm gonna go talk to a woman Samaritan in broad daylight at the well. Yeah, you'll notice that if you were to read the Gospel of John, the whole point where they said you can't talk to a Samaritan woman and Jesus saying bovine scatology, that's a friendly way of putting it. Um, Jesus didn't say that. Wow. It's Ryan from Eastlake Community Church, and this is the time we changed our mind. We started in my house. For the first couple of years, things were moving so fast, and we were growing by hundreds of people a week. When it came to the conversation around the LGBT community and church policy, or what does the Bible say about homosexuality, I always felt awkward about it. I didn't want to bring it up. Yeah, actually, the Bible's very clear that homosexual attraction and homosexual um, intercourse, both of those are a sin. But those aren't the only sins mentioned in the Bible. For instance, gossiping is a sin. Lying is a sin. Stealing, sin. Adultery, sin. Um, Sex outside of marriage with anybody, sin. Yeah, Um, having another God, idolatry, sin, taking God's name in vain, sin, coveting, sin. Yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of sins mentioned in Scripture. And so the idea here that what he just said, that somehow homosexuality was the cardinal sin, yeah, that's not even a fair representation of evangelical Christianity. Not the Christ, evangelical Christianity I grew up in. Yeah, they they spoke they spoke equally against homosexuality and adultery and coveting and idolatry and drunkenness. I mean, yeah, and see God's law. The purpose of God's law is to show us our sin. Now, I want to review a passage that I go to quite regularly, and it's in it's found in Romans chapter three. Romans chapter 3 talks to us about, well, our state, you know, is being dead in trespasses and sins. Think of this as a, um, as a follow-up to what we read in Ephesians 2. Paul, writing in Romans 3, starting verse 9, says, Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not of all. We've already charged that all. That's everybody, both Jews and Greeks. They're under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yeah, that section of Scripture is describing every single one of us. Mm-hmm. Now we know, Paul continues, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous or justified in God's sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now I will say this, that uh, the evangelicalism that I grew up in confused law and gospel. And although they gave lip service to the gospel and that there's forgiveness in Christ, they didn't placard the gospel as the solution to the problem that Christians faced as sinners. Nope, not at all. 
And so it was a pretty steady diet of law, 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 which creates the false impression that somehow my salvation in full or in part depends upon my ability to cease being a sinner. But that's not how anyone is saved. And Paul is saying here, the purpose of the law is to shut our mouths so that we will be held accountable to God because by works of the law, not one human being will be declared righteous in God's sight. Instead, the purpose of the law is to show us, give us a knowledge of sin. And that would also include the sin of homosexuality, which is explicitly spoken of in Romans chapter 1. But let me read something out here. Starting at verse 21, then, Paul says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it. For the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All, every one of us, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or atoning sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what then becomes of our boasting? It's excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Yeah. <laughs> So we're not saved by our law-keeping. We're not saved by ceasing to be sinners and making ourselves righteous by obeying God's law. So I'm going to basically say I think Ryan is reacting to the confusion of law and gospel that is quite prevalent in American evangelicalism. But as for the fact that Paul, in Romans chapter 1, explicitly talks about the sin of homosexuality, let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 1, I'll start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's all of us. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged... They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to, the, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the create, creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Further, women exchanged natural relations with, for those that are contrary to nature. That's your L right there in LGB. Uh-huh. And the men likewise gave up natural 
relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. That's the G in LGBT. Uh Uh-huh, you get it? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, uh, God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then the list gets quite expansive. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So here's the issue, is that Ryan is buying into a false narrative and actually helping to promote the false narrative that apparently Christianity teaches that, oh, homosexuality is the cardinal sin. No, uh, homosexual passions and homosexual intercourse both are sins listed among a very exhaustive list of many sins. And the purpose of God's law is to show us that we are all sinners. So we got a problem here. Get up. I felt like I needed to scare people into believing the right thing because the God who loves them is going to send most of human history to hell. Like, that's the good news. It sounds <laughs> Uh, actually, the good news is that Christ died for our sins. Each and every one of us, since we're all sinners, deserves hell. Notice no attempt at all to rightly convey what Scripture teaches. Christina Cobb, and I do music here at East Lake Church. And uh, so now we get to the experiential part of this. Ayla brought up a question of, what have you never told anyone? And... I immediately shut down. What the answer was for me was that I've had attractions to the same sex. So she fell in love with this Ayla person, and they kept their uh, relationship a secret because um, because of the church's stance on... I just sexual. didn't take it anymore. I told Ayla that we need to tell someone. I don't know what's going to happen. I might lose my job. And I was just really so fearful. I didn't need to be, though. Luckily, some people, their fears make sense. She pulled me aside and was like, hey, I need to tell you that I'm dating Ayla. I was like, that's amazing. How wonderful, beautiful. But she was crying. And eventually I realized she was saying, look, I'm assuming this is my last day working here. And that moment of realizing that I had been a part of a system who had someone who I loved that much, terrified that relationship aside, this was a categorical, you're out. And my heart broke. And I just realized I had been a coward for too long. Uh So he'd been a coward too long. What he's doing is cowardly. What do you do when someone, you know, somebody in your church comes to you and says, I'm having an adulterous affair, and they're on the church council? Do you sit there and go, that's great. 
No, you say, brother, you're in sin. You need to repent. Christ has bled and died for these sins. Repent and be forgiven. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But, you know, Ryan here, he he's doing the courageous thing by not confronting them with their sin, calling them to repent and be forgiven. Instead, he's doing the cowardly thing by reworking Scripture now and making it so that God can bless them in their same-sex relationship. Frankly, I thought it would kill the church immediately. You else get death threats? That's just me? Okay. Lucky me. Uh... I took so many sit-down meetings where people with their open Bible be like, <laughs> at some points, though, I just had to look at them and go, I can tell this is hard on you. <laughs> like, I don't have a problem with anyone in the LGBT community. And in fact, yeah, that's weird because Scripture actually is clear on this. That's a sin. Christ has bled and died for. God's law shows it as a sin. And then you're sitting here, I don't have a problem. You should. You're supposed to be a Christian pastor. I think we've all remained perpetually immature. Yeah, so if you're against, you know, the LGBTQ community and and don't embrace same-sex marriage, it's because you're immature. And so notice, he's the mature one. The people with the open Bible, they're the immature ones. (sighs) Wow. What a mess. But I think you get the point. This is the world that we live in. And where did he get his theology from? He didn't get it from Scripture. He got it from his own experience. And then he basically cloaks himself now in the words of, well, bravery and maturity. And he's really, and he's loving and open and all this kind of stuff. When in reality, he's a false teacher and he's actually being cowardly. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading over to Church by the Glades and we're going to be hearing a sermon? Sermon? Uh, yeah, about being hooked. Yeah, stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. 
Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. number two of fighting for the faith we're gonna review a sermon and i'm kind of glad it's like the last bad sermon for like a week and a half (laughs) unfortunately i've got to begin reviewing the bad easter sermons next week so it's for you it's a respite for me not so much but let's do this Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're heading over to Church by the Glades. We're going to be listening to a sermon named Hooked. It's a fishing-themed sermon, which I think means it has something to do with evangelism. The person delivering the sermon is a woman, which Scripture forbids. She's not even a pastor, She's the wife of one of the campus pastors. And all I know is this is a mess. That's the best way I can describe it. Hope you're sitting down because I'm pretty sure if I don't chime in, we won't actually hear anything rightly understood from any clear passage using sound hermeneutics and exegesis. So... Let me go ahead and back off on the music. So without any further ado, here is Heather Palacios 
And the sermon hooked. Here we go. Good morning, everybody. My name is Heather Palacios. I'm one of the pastor's wives here at Church by the Glades. A lot of times I'm out here with... Yeah, not even a pastor. She's just the wife of a pastor. Hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. If you were to go to your doctor, you know, and say, you know, I I, I have some pain and uh, I'm really concerned about it. Maybe it could be like, you know, chest pain or maybe you have pain in your brain or pain in your sinuses or pain in your abdomen. And, you know, whatever it is, you're having major discomfort. And uh, and so you make an appointment to see your doctor and, you know, he's a nice fellow and uh and so you show up at the doctor's office for your your appointment. You've kept your appointment. They, you know, in fact, they even called you the night before, make sure that you're here. Uh, and uh, you know, your appointment again is at nine o'clock in the morning. So nine o'clock in the morning, you show up at the doctor's office. You're a few minutes early. You got the paperwork. You got to fill out. So you fill it out, and then you know the the lady behind the glass says, uh, "The doctor will see you now." So you go into the exam room, and and you're sitting there, you know, and. You know, it's it's always so awkward when you're sitting there in your doctor's examining room while you're waiting for him to show up, and then you hear the knock on the door. You know, the, and the and uh, and y- 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 is it okay to come in? Yeah, come on in. And it's not your doctor; it's your doctor's wife. And you say, "Who are you?" And she says, "Oh, I, <laughs> sorry, I'm Mrs. Doctor." And you go, <laughs> "Um." Where's your husband? Oh, well, he sent me in to uh, do the exam today. Have you been to medical school? No, 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 I haven't. Um, Are you licensed to practice medicine? No, no, I'm not. But he's my husband, and, you know, that's good enough, you know. I mean, we at dinner for years now, in fact, for more than a decade, you know, we've been talking medical stuff, and, and I feel like I know my way around, you know, the, you know, medical jargon and, and stuff like that and the human body so well that I, I'm pretty confident that uh, I can help you out. I mean, he's busy, you know, um, he, he's he got some other stuff. In fact, I think he's fishing. And you know, would you stay and let your doctor's wife actually perform the examination, make the diagnosis, draw the blood or all whatever is necessary to, uh, you know, to figure out what's wrong with you. Of course you wouldn't. You'd be out of there in a hot second. So here's uh, Heather Palacios. Basically, she's the wife of one of the campus pastors. And she's delivering the sermon. Wow. Wow. Fred doing announcements, but I'm going to be having a little more of an extended time today. And I'm really excited about it. I'm glad to be here with you guys. We're in a series right now called Hooked. And what an appropriate word to really describe how, how I honestly feel about this place. This month marks the sixth year that my family and I have been here. And I am so, I am hooked to this place. I'm hooked to my pastors, David and Lisa, and I'm hooked to Church by the Glades, and you're stuck with me, and I'm not going anywhere, and I thank God for this church, and all of us that have been hooked here. It's it's done such a good work in my life, and so I'm hooked. It's like Wizard of Oz, you know, I clicked my heels, and I ended up here, and I don't want to go back to Kansas. This is where it's at, and I'm glad that you guys are here too. 
We are um, unashamedly a huge invite culture at Church by the Glades. You might be here because somebody gave you one of these and invited you to our church. And um, I, I, I can't go any further without just stopping to pause and say that I am thankful that I live in a country where we can, where we can invite people to church. There's a, a lot of hate in this world. And there are places where you, you, you almost give up your life or you do give up your life if you would do what we get to do so freely here. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we'll live in this country and get to do that. But this is, I've, re- I've referenced these over the years as golden tickets. Not that there's any intrinsic value and you could sell it on eBay or anything and make money off of it. But because, how many of you guys have seen the Willy Wonka movies, either with Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp? Really? Not that many? Okay. Well, basically in that movie, Willy Wonka gives five golden tickets to five kids who get to um, have an unlimited supply of chocolate and a little sugar. And also, they get to enter into this, you know, candy nirvana for good. I was like, that's kind of like what happens here. When I give somebody a golden ticket... They give it, they could come here, find God and get an endless supply of peace, hope and love. And one day enter into the eternal nirvana of God and heaven forever and ever. So I call these things golden tickets. And what's so cool for me to see unfold all the time is that it goes all the way up to the tippy top here with that kind of a culture of inviting people. You know, we're not told to do it as a staff. Pastor David and Lisa live it. They live and they talk and they breathe inviting people. If you follow them on social media, you'll see Pastor David takes them to the gym all the time. Maybe some of you guys are here because you have seen um, this invite ticket go from him to you. And you came. And we're glad to have you. But they live it and they talk it and they breathe it and they do it. And we do too. But I was like wondering, like, what about in the Bible though? You know, like, I got to tell, I got to be honest with you. I, okay, don't be impressed that it's a big Bible. It's because I'm getting old. I need big words, big font size. So I had to upgrade the Bible. But um, in the Bible, you know, I didn't always, I didn't always truthfully like to read it. It was kind of confusing, boring. Can I say that? It was. I thought it was. And one day I was like, but some, there's got to be something powerful about it because, I mean, it's been the number one bestseller for a squillion years and everybody talks about it. So I started praying in my 20s. I was like, God, help me to like this book. Now I love it. I love it. And sometimes when I'm reading, yeah, you can clap. That's God's word. It's a double-edged sword. Wah-wah. Can't lose a battle with it. But so- Yeah, actually you can if you don't know how to rightly wield it. And so, I mean, now she's qualified to give sermons um, because she used to hate it, but she asked God to help her to like it. And and so he answered that question and kapow wow zinger zanger and, and uh, she is like she totally loves God's word now so that makes her qualified to preach a sermon right I hope you're sitting there going no way that does not doesn't work that way no it doesn't when I read it, I will, I will look at a certain Bible story through a telescope and I'll kind of glean over and see it in a big picture. And sometimes I'll read some Bible stories in the book though, and it'll be 
so intricate and so full of wonder and so palpable and juicy that I, I put it under a microscope and I just break it apart bit by bit. And that's what I want to do with you guys today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And I thought we could put this under the microscope, but let's just like break it down bit by bit because it's, it's so rich. It's so good. To get your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 16. Let me give you a little context here. Acts is kind of where, um, okay, so it was God was hanging out in the New Testament, and then and then God sent his, himself in the form of a, of a son, Jesus, in the New Testament. And then Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and he ascended back up into heaven, and he left his Holy Spirit. So that's kind of like the trilogy. And in Acts, you know, Jesus has died and gone up to heaven, and he's left his Holy Spirit to dwell among us. And he's using people like Paul and Silas to start this thing called church. Because it didn't always exist as we know it today. So they started started the church and evangelizing and being missionaries. And there was this town that did not like them, didn't want them there. And so this is where the story picks up. Follow along verses 23 to 24. So Paul and Silas were severely... So, <laughs> oh wow, that was quite the uh, explanation of the context. They're in a town that like didn't like to hear what they had to hear, say. Yeah, Acts 16, by the way, takes place in the city of Philippi, and Paul and Silas are in jail because Paul has cast a demon out of a girl who uh, could tell the, you know, was into fortune telling, and she had a demon, and she was a slave to boot. And then they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, and he clamped their feet in stocks. So here these guys are, all right, the, the, the Bible's teaching us here that they, first of all, they were beat, beaten badly. When I was studying this, you know, I learned this isn't like your, your little Cuban papau, okay? I'm married to a Cuban. I learned what that word was when we had kids. But this isn't your little Cuban papau. This, is, this beating is major. First of all, it's often done in the public after they've stripped you naked, so it's humiliating, and the way they would beat people like Paul and Silas, the skin would fall off their backs. And they didn't put band-aids on them. So they've stripped them and they've beaten them. And then the Bible says they put them in the innermost dungeon. That's where the nastiest of the nasty is. If you don't like rats, you wouldn't want to be in the inner dungeon. And it's way inside. And then it says that they put their feet in chains and chained them to a stock. And so they're sitting upright. In this nasty, dark, damp, dirty prison. Yeah, she brought a prop. She had some chain there. They've been beaten, and their backs are open. And it's safe to say that they were stuck. And that had... <laughs> yeah, they, they, they were stuck. I mean, that <laughs> they were stuck. I don't think this woman's qualified to be preaching. Um... Acts 16, 16. Let's get a little context here, see what's going on. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Uh, the Greek word there, uh, puthona, that sounds like python. Right, this is associated with the Oracle of Delphi. Um, and she brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Yeah, beware when demons are trying to help with evangelism. And this she kept doing for many days. Uh, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of gain, that would be financial gain, uh, that it was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bonds were unfastened, and when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, where did he hear theology enough to know that he needed to be saved? Answer, he heard it in the hymns that were being sung. Right? What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up and to into his house and set food before them, and rejoicing, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, now there's a little bit more to the story, but at least we got the gist of what's going on here. And for um, this um, pastor's wife who's preaching, Heather, for her to say, "Oh yeah, Paul was stuck." shows she has no clue how to exegete a biblical text. And that's a little bit of a problem here. And, of course, she's not been to seminary. She is, after all, just the wife of a pastor. Why is she preaching? Stop there with that and just really let it marinate in my head for a minute because I thought that's sometimes how we feel. We feel stuck in a job. Stuck in a relationship, stuck with a goal. We have been trying so hard to reach this goal. Right, because apparently Act 16 is uh, to, to give us inspiration for those times when we're feeling stuck in our life. Total, blind, gobbledygook. These are worthless words. This is not exegesis. This is nonsense. Whatever it is for you, and we're stuck. And I just wanted to stop here and encourage you today that if you're stuck, you're in good company. Noah was stuck on an ark. Jonah. (laughs) Noah was stuck on an ark. Yeah, that, that's, that, that shows some profound understanding of the whole flood event. Stuck in a whale. Moses was stuck in the desert. David was stuck in a cave. Paul was stuck in prison. And Jesus was stuck on a cross. Yeah, that when Jesus was crucified. I mean, that was the ultimate stuckness. Yeah, he couldn't even move his arms and legs. No way to take himself off, right? 
and none of them are there anymore. Right. None of them are stuck anymore. And for this, she's getting applause. They should be throwing tomatoes at her and booing her off stage. So take heart if you feel stuck. You're not the only one. And the God who allows us to get stuck is also the God that uses us while we are and then leads us out. So if you feel like God has stopped watching over you, if you're stuck where no one else can get to, he's where you are. He's joining you in your stuckiness. That's not a word. I don't know. Just made it up. All right, let's continue because the story's good. We've got to keep going. First- right, the Acts 16, the God's with you in your stuckiness. 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And my mental brakes went, because I was like, singing and praising. I mean, who does that when they can't sleep? Not me lately. Lately, in the last few months, I've been having bouts of like insomnia and sleeplessness, and it stinks. How many of you guys have ever dealt with insomnia up, up there? Anyone up there down here? Or my goodness, it's like you can't turn the switch off on your brain, even though your body has been dead tired for the last few hours. But your brain's like, <laughs> it's awful. And the temptation is... Not as awful as that sound you made. Good night. For me to roll over and turn on my iPhone. Turn on the TV. Do some shopping online. Nordstrom Rack, my favorite store with the best shoes ever. That's not what Paul and Silas did. They were stuck in pain. They were stuck in prison. They were sleepless in the middle of the night. And the Bible teaches us that in that sleeplessness, they praise God and they pray to God. And I was like, oh, talk about a papow. My own personal papow right there thinking that is not what I do when I can't sleep. So I was convicted about this and I've wrestled with it and I've been praying about it. And I'm like, well, I'll just try to apply it. So, you know, one night I I couldn't sleep and I, you want to know the thing? Let me tell you about sleeplessness for a second, by the way. I really don't want to hear about your sleeplessness. Good night. What is this? Even though you're watching the hours go by, do you know that your wake-up time stays the same? (laughs) Kills me. Kills me every time. So anyway, this one night, it was midnight, and then it was like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I'm still awake, but, you know, I was praying. Now, I'm not like super spiritual. I mean, you can tell that just by looking at me. But I was like, I'm just going to just do, try to do what they do. And I was just praying. And actually, it was a really good time because there was no distractions. I found myself praying for people that I was just sensing in my, my heart to pray for. Which, wait, one caveat, which isn't in my notes, but I got to just say this right here real quick. If, if you tell... Really, you have preaching notes for this. Wow. You're going to pray for them? Please do. You might be the only one in the world who did. All right. So one night I was frustrated and I had done the praying thing, but the Bible says that Paul and Silas in the middle of the night when, when, this, when they're stuck in prison, they're stuck in pain, that they also praised God. So I was like, well, okay, I'll try that. I'm going to praise God. And I was like, well, how do you praise God? So, I, you know, I, I'm a simpleton. I thought, well, I know my ABCs. 
So I'm going to start with the letter A. I want to see if I can praise God all the way to the letter Z. So I was like, all right, here we go. Ready? A, God is able. And B, he's bold. C, you're creative. D, you're determined. E, you're eternal. F, you're forgiving. G, you're gracious. H, you're my help. I, you're incredible. J, you're joy. K, you're kind. J, K, L, you're love. M, you're majesty. N, you're noble. Oh, you're omnipresent. P, you're peaceful. Q, you're quiet. R, you're real. S, you're safe. T, you're the truth. U, you're understanding. V, you're victorious. W, you're the way. Y, you're Yahweh. X, you're excellent. Z, you're zealous. Boom. And so now, I, you know, I do that when I can't save. I'm like a walking synonym, synonym thesaurus thing, you know, up in my head. Because I'm just always trying to come up with different letters of attributes to praise God with. It's kind of like a fun little game that God and I play, you know? So I just want to encourage you, if you can't sleep, that people in the Bible couldn't either. And there's things that you and I can do that, that actually might... Right, yeah. Paul and Silas clearly were suffering from insomnia after being arrested and put in prison. Help us down the road. All right, let's continue with the story. So here we go. Acts 16, verse 26 says, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, which wasn't uncommon for the topography of that area. And the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains up. Say with me. Every prisoner fell off. And I was like, what? Come on. They're in prison, and there's two good guys in there, two godly good missionaries. So I understand their chains falling off, but this says every prisoner's chains fell off. That makes me want to bust in to break every chain. That song. But I've been told don't sing on the micro, just talk on it. (laughs) I receive it. I receive it. Um, the chains of every prisoner fell off. And so I was like, I don't know. I was just kind of thinking about that. And I was thinking, well, maybe that was the cosmic collision of, of two other truths in the Bible. Because in the book of James, um, chapter 5, it says that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So you've got two people in there, you know, at least, that have powerful and effective prayers because they're righteous dudes. The Bible. How are they made righteous? So says... That faith comes by hearing the word of God. Yeah, that's right. Let's see if she connects the dots here. So maybe that you've got these two good guys whose prayers are praying out loud are powerful and effective. And meanwhile, as these other prisoners, this riffraff is listening to that, their faith is growing. And ex- well, they didn't have faith. So maybe they knew they needed to be saved because of their prayers and the hymns they were singing. At least she's in the neighborhood. I mean, she's in the right zip code at this point. This is, by the way, known as the doctrine of the means of grace. ...is they're hearing the prayers. And so it's like... This cosmic collision, and the Bible says that every chain fell off. And that's good because even in a dungeon... Chains can fall off people. (laughs) Because even in a dungeon, chains can fall off people. And people go, amen. And they're going to clap for this. That was just nonsense. Total pablum. (laughs) 
Okay. Continue with the story. It's like, verse 27, 28, just so good. It's so chewy. I love it. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. And he assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, wait, 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 wait. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. See, the jailer was like, oh, man, the chains fell off. They would have killed him for that. Yeah, that's correct. They didn't have OSHA back then and, you know, governmental standards where employers couldn't kill employees, right? So he was going to take his own life instead of them killing him. And Paul prevented that from happening. And I'm very, very encouraged by that. I, uh, if you know me, you know I'm a mental health advocate. I choose life for myself and I, I love to help people choose life for themselves. One suicide is one too many. And here you've got Paul who is... Yeah, this wouldn't have been a suicide because of like depression or mental illness. More like, might as well get it over with. They'll kill me in the morning anyway. Stuck where he doesn't want to be. In pain that he doesn't want to have. And God used him to save a life. Yeah, more than save a life. Physically, eternally also. And I think that sometimes instead of me complaining and shouting and being frustrated and mad that I'm stuck, maybe my perspective could also include, but maybe God's got me here to help someone else. I, um, in December, got a phone call that somebody from our church uh, was on life support. They had tried to take their life. And went to visit this person on life support. And they were completely in a vegetative state. We prayed over this person. Prayed for life, a second chance. Sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't. But then in January, the family called me again. Said, would you like to come visit this person at the hospital? But they've been moved to a different hospital. And they'd love to see you. This person had been moved to a rehabilitation hospital. Had come out of the coma taken off life support, was now breathing and seeing and hearing and talking on her own. And when I think about that scene, you know, I just thought, thank you, God, for, for people that feel stuck in thankless jobs at hospitals. Because maybe there was somebody stuck on a shift, stuck in the elevator. So you'll notice here, apparently she is under the mistaken notion that the the big idea of this text is about how to get unstuck or help people who are feeling stuck. That's not what this text is about. Stuck in the waiting room, stuck in the room next to this person that you were using to help this person. And so we praise God sometimes when we're stuck. Okay. Continuing with this story. Don't you love it? Verses 29 to 30. So the jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he said, what must I do to be saved? Great question. We love it when people ask that question because we've got the answer. And if, if society still frames it that way, but society is still asking this question. We all have a hole in our heart 
that only one thing can fill. A hole in our heart that one thing can fill. I think the issue is that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. Yeah, my problem isn't that I have a hole in my heart. My problem is that I am a sinner. I've transgressed God's law. And the fact that God's law is written on my heart tells me that, you know, I'm in trouble, yeah, deep trouble. And, uh, wow, it's a hole in my heart, yeah. We can try to fill it with dollars and diamonds and influence and popularity and Instagram likes and shoes from North Shore Brack. Hey, it won't work. We are designed with a hole in our heart that only Jesus can fill. He saves. Yeah, Jesus is not the, the donut hole for my empty donut heart. He saves. And I love it that, that the jailer right there asks, I see something in you guys and I want it. And we're still asking that question today. You know, we just frame it differently. Sometimes we're just, we just say like this, like, why am I here? Why was I born? What's the point? How do I cope? Why do bad things happen to good people? We're st- there are no good people. I read it out earlier in hour number one. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All asking the question. And I'm so thankful that I serve a God who makes it easy. There's not a lot, there's not a whole bunch of hoops you got to jump through. You don't have to go through, you know, fiery coals and walk across. There's no weirdo dance moves, which I could probably do, by the way, because I, I do have moves. But he just makes it easy. And I needed God to make it easy to invite him into my life. I needed him to make it easy. Romans tells you how you can fill that hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And when you're asking that question, maybe you are here today and you're asking it just like that jailer. What's my, what do I got to do to be saved? How do I fill that hole in my heart? Jesus says, if you confess with your mouth. How do I fill that hole in my heart? That's, that's not our problem. Our problem is we're sinners. That I am Lord. And you believe that God raised me from the dead. You're saved. 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 That's it. That's what the Bible is. So easy. And so that's what happens here is these, these guys are like, well, you know, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, you can be saved. If you're here today and you just kind of identify with what I'm talking about right now, we'll make it easy for you today. Come down front right after service. One of our prayer partners would love to pray that prayer with you. And you'll leave today knowing that that hole in your heart has been filled forever and nothing can take it away. Right. Yeah, they're going to be filling people's holes in their hearts after the service today. And I'm sure they'll take photographs and put it on Instagram too. Nobody can touch it. And you will know Jesus on earth and then you will meet him one day in heaven. And it's not just... This is not weird talk. It's, it's real talk. One thing I love about this story is that it says that the jailer dropped to his knees right there in that nasty dungeon. And said, what must I do to be saved? He, didn't, he, he wasn't like, uh, hey, yeah, you know, like, y'all got something I want. Is there a YouTube channel tell me about that? 
Yeah, that would be an anachronism. Nor did he ask for a microwave burrito because neither things were around back then. Wikipedia it. You know what? Let me pray about that salvation thing. I'm going to pray about it. No, he was like, right now. I'm on my knees. Right now. Please. Now. He didn't delay. You can't delay the good. You can't delay something that's good for you. Yeah, actually, the text says, well, let's go back to the text and let us review. Uh, <clears throat> verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Jesus And uh, Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So obviously he took them to his home. And he took the, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. doesn't say he dropped to his knees right there and then in the prison. She's not exegeting now. She's eisegeting. And along with Chris, uh, Robin Harfouche, uh, well, Heather here is teaching this false doctrine that apparently he exercised his free will. But free will to do what? To fill a hole in his heart. So I encourage you to come forward after service today. and Let's take care of that today. All right. Continue with the story. Verses 31 to 34. Okay. They believed. They were, No, they didn't. They replied. I'm looking right at it. Like, okay. Anyway. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him. This is the jailer. They shared the word of the Lord with the jailer. And with all who lived in his household. Wait, time out. What? So they... Shared Jesus with the jailer and everybody in his household. And even at that wicked hour in the middle of the night when everybody should have been sleeping, but they couldn't, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. The same jailer who threw them in the innermost dungeon and left them to die. Then he, the jailer... Left them to die. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that's how that went down. And everyone in his household was immediately baptized. It's a Sunday morning. Sunrise, baptism, meet you there. Don't forget, write it down. We'd love to baptize you. Shameless plug. And he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He washed those big gaping holes on their back. He bandaged them. He fed them. He invited them into his house. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. What? Oh my gosh. The one thing I took from this text is that when a, when, a, when a bad guy or a bad girl like me changes and converts, it's difficult for love and hate to coexist in the same heart. Yeah, you're still not exegeting. What I've discovered in, in my life is that my heart is a home for Jesus to dwell, not an apartment complex for him and the devil and his minions. It is all Jesus in the house in Heather. All. And Jesus is love. And so is my heart. And full disclosure, I was raised in a home. I was raised as a kid to hate 
a certain part of society. And I rededicated my life back to God after some years of rebelling in my 20s. And I discovered I just something in me couldn't, couldn't hate that part of society anymore. I, I, like the scales just fell off my eyes. And I was like, no, wait. I know I was raised this way. But like David says, the chains can break with me. I will love these people. I will hug them. I will put my arms around them. I will worship with them. I will invite them to church. I I don't want, I can't have that hate. It doesn't feel right in my heart because my heart is now God's and God is love. And God is love. It's so interesting. Paul, Paul used to kill Christians. And then he became one. And now he's helping other people become Christians. That love-hate thing happened to him. The jailer, the jailer hated Paul. But he got saved. And he took Paul into his home. He took him out of prison, into his home. He loosened the chains around his feet. And he fed him and he bandaged his wounds. So love trumps hate in a heart that has Jesus in it. It's in the Bible. And the chains that restrain... So she's in some way trying to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying believers, even brand new believers. And granted, this is true. The Holy Spirit does do these things, and true Christians, those who've been brought from death to life by God through the means of grace... They do have different appetites. They still have a sinful nature to contend with, though. Yeah, that's most certainly true. ...them. We're almost now becoming a chain reaction for God. I mean... We're becoming a chain reaction for God. Uh, and everyone's like waiting for the different applause lines as she's just kind of doing this this stream of consciousness platitudinal thing. Think about it. Think about it. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus asked Paul, follow me. Paul said, oh, okay. And then Paul invited Silas to follow him in Acts 15 and become missionaries. And, and, Paul, and Silas said, okay. And then Paul and Silas went into prison and they invited the jailer to invite Jesus into the heart. And the jailer said, okay. And then the jailer told his household. And then the jailer told his, his family. And then the jailer told the other prisoners. And it's like, big honking chain reaction that started with the chains around Paul's feet. Kapow, man. The chain reaction. Whoa. This is so, yeah, again, remember, she's just the wife of a pastor. She's not qualified to actually be preaching and teaching. In fact, God's word actually forbids Women from doing what she's doing. What? You gotta be kidding me. Which leads to the power of inviting somebody. Man. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience. Helping them to make decisions, you know, and stuff like that. This could, this could break the chains for somebody and start a chain reaction in their world. She's holding up this Im- invite cards for Church by the Glades' Easter services. 
So the whole thing has been a sales pitch. That's really what's going on here. Card given to the right person at the right time could make all the difference for them with the change they think they're in forever. At Church by the Glades, man, we're just one imperfect person telling another where to find God. We are a chain reaction here. I've seen it happen in, in my own life, in my own personal life with inviting people. I got to tell this to you guys. I got to share this with you guys. So six years ago, Pastor David and Lisa invited Raul and that crazy person, that crazy girl, she crazy. And their two boys, DJ and Andy, to church by the glades. Six years ago, this month. Been here six years. And and then and then two years ago, okay, so you got Pastor David and Lisa invited the Palacios family. And then two years ago, I have three brothers. My youngest brother is um, a recovering heroin uh, and alcohol and prescription drug addict. And he's been one year sober, and I'm so thankful for that. And so Pastor David invited my family and I, and I invited my brother two years ago to come to church. And he came. He got out of the hospital right there. But look, there he is. That's my brother. But it doesn't stop there. My brother, after the chain started to come off of his life, began a chain reaction and invited his halfway house to church by the glades. And they came. It doesn't stop there. Chain reactions are long. That halfway house invited another halfway house and they came. And last Easter, that halfway house accepted Christ and got baptized at our church. Ah, look at that. One of the guys that came last Easter and accepted Christ and got baptized was Mike. I save seats for these guys every time I know they're coming. And in October, I I got a text in the morning. I was here backstage saying, we're not going to make it today. Mike relapsed and died last night. And I don't share this story because he died. I share this story because he once was in chains with addiction. And by the power of God, the chains that restrained him turned into a chain reaction that set him free so that he now lives in heaven. There's a lot of power that can accompany this card. One time David did a message. and I, I... Yeah, I thought the power, that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. Why aren't you teaching them the gospel so that they can share that gospel with everybody they know? Instead, it's, this is the big plug to get you to take a stack of invite cards so that Church by the Glades can get more seat, more, well, you know, rear ends in their seats. That's what this is really about. Never forget. He said, the chains break with me. 
And the chains break with you and me. They, we are set free when we accept God into our life and plug into this place. We are set free from those chains. But it doesn't stop there. The chains that restrain us become a chain reaction and you are set free, but you don't want to keep that to yourself. So you invite somebody to come here with you and they come and they invite somebody and they come and they invite their kids and their friends and their coworkers. And all of a sudden you've got generations that can literally become chain reactions to shrink hell and increase heaven in this place where you are right now. So the, the, it's to get the, you grab a handful of these invites so that you can send people to church by the glades. I wouldn't send my enemies there because David Hughes and Corey Castle don't rightly handle God's word. They put on a great show. They spend a lot of time figuring out what the next act of the show is going to be. Rightly handling God's word, not on their agenda. So this Easter, the, the, the field is ripe. I'm telling you, people will come. When I invite people, I, I've honestly never had anybody kick me in the head. I haven't. Now, I don't know if they came to church, but they've never, like, gone nuts on me, okay? Let's invite people to Easter this year. Let the chain reaction begin with you and me. Let's pray. No, don't. I'm not letting you pray. Wow. So there you go. Chain reaction, indeed. Um, Problem is, in this particular case, this is a negative chain reaction. Did we hear law, gospel, sin, grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins, right handling of God's word? We shouldn't have even been hearing her preach. None of that. This is a mess. And everyone there has been emotionally manipulated. Now they got to go and get these invite cards because we got to cause a chain reaction. Yet faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That would require the pastor there to actually preach the word of Christ. Proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Call people to, well, to repent of their wickedness and be forgiven. But instead, well, they're getting the gospel of, well, if, do you have a hole in your heart? Don't worry, Jesus will fill it. Just ask him to fill the hole in your heart. And see, there you go. You've, you're now a Christian. Yeah, that's not how Christians are made. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you with the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>